We're going to dive in to asking for a friend today as uh, Hunter already mentioned, we're talking today in part three about questions about living the Christian life. We've had a, a number of questions submitted about just how do I do this? How do I honor God in this situation? So today we're doing questions about living the Christian life. As for every message in the series, if you have a question along these lines or, or a separate question uh, that you want to see answered later on in the series, you can text those in to 662-404-2489. Uh, that's our church text phone number. Uh, you can text those in anonymously. We don't have anybody's phone number saved. Uh, we're not checking up to see who sent what. Uh, so you can text those in safely. Um, but we do have some guiding principles I want to remind you of before we get into today's questions. Number one, when the Bible speaks clearly, I will speak clearly. Man, when the Bible has a, a clear application, a clear verse that speaks to this question, we're going to turn to the Word of God uh, and share what it has to say. Secondly, uh, when the Bible gives a principle, I will seek to apply that biblical principle. Sometimes uh, there's things that we have in modern life that didn't exist 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago as the Bible was being written, but there are principles we can seek to apply, and I'll do my best to apply the appropriate principle to the situation. And, and then lastly, when the Bible's silent, I'll give you my opinion, but I'm going to do my very best to make sure you know when it's my opinion. You don't have to answer to God for how you honored my opinion. We do have to answer to God for how we honored his word. Uh, but sometimes if the Bible just doesn't say, um, I'm not just going to use that as a cop-out and duck the question. Uh, sometimes the hardest questions are the ones that the Bible doesn't speak to. Uh, so I'll do my best to give you what I actually think on these situations. So with that being said, today we're going to do four or five questions. I've got five loaded up. I don't know if I'm going to have time to get to all of them. Uh, so we're going to at least make it to question four, hopefully make it to question five. And then at the end of service, Hunter is going to come uh, with a question that got texted in and see if you guys can stump me. Uh, and we'll have some fun with a, a last second question. Uh, so that being said, let's dive in. The first question today I've hinted at and mentioned a couple times uh, that this was submitted. How are Christians supposed to handle bad or rude customer service. Now, I have a confession to make. When I first read this question, this one actually got emailed in. When I first read this, and, and for a little while, um, I read this in the context of how should we handle bad or rude customers uh, as an employee. Uh, and so I don't know why, but the question is not about a customer. It's about when you are the customer uh, and the person is rude. The, the reality is the answer is pretty much the same. Um, and most of us at some point in time will be on both ends of this. If you have any sort of a job that works with the public, uh, you know that the public can be awful. Uh, if you have any sort of need for anybody's service, you've probably discovered that customer service is not the greatest skill of this generation. Uh, I, 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 one of my greatest pet peeves is bad customer service. Uh, one, one of my very first jobs that I was trained in was as a customer service representative, uh, and I, I value good customer service. Man, I, I love it when people handle things well, and sadly, I don't see that very often. <laughs> Sadly, it seems to have gone downhill. It seems to have really like fallen off a cliff since COVID. Like it was already bad, and then it's like it just disappeared. Uh, and so I get the heart of this question, man. How do, am I supposed to, to handle this as a Christian when somebody is rude? When somebody is, is awful, when somebody just doesn't know how to apologize, I, that's probably my biggest pet peeve is, man, if you make an order at a restaurant and they get the order wrong and, and you point, hey, actually, I ordered this, it's like, just, I'm good, I can be gracious, I know stuff gets messed up, I worked in restaurants, just say my bad, I'm sorry that that happened, and get a fix, but apologies are not a strength of our culture either, uh, especially, it seems, in customer service-related positions. So, so what do we do? when this happens. Um, I don't think as a Christian that you have to be a martyr uh, for bad customer service. I don't think that you have to look the other way on every uh, thing that you ordered when it, you get something different or when people don't handle things well. I think that we can confront those things and bring them up, but I absolutely believe that there's a right way and a wrong way to do that. Um, I think the simplest, most direct answer is this, is that we don't take off our Christianity in any situation. 
right? Like we don't just represent Jesus on Sunday mornings. We don't just represent Jesus when we've got on the City Church t-shirt. We don't just represent Jesus if we're one of those Christians who put the Christian fish on our bumper, right? Like, like we represent Jesus wherever we go. When we go to work, when we go to the store, when we make a phone call, when we're on the internet, when we use social media, right? Like we're still representing Jesus in any of those contexts. And really this is what today's questions are about. How do we live out our faith? How do we take this thing that we're doing in here where, I mean, we gather and it's easy to love God and it's easy to, to be a Christian when we're together, but what happens when the rubber hits the road and I'm around somebody who doesn't believe the same I do, or even worse, I'm with somebody who does believe the same as I do but isn't living it out? How do we handle those situations? So let me give you some scripture that I think that we can use as some biblical guidelines. Romans 12, 17 says this. It says, do not, everybody say, do not. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Gee, right? <laughs> you ever had a verse you wish you could make disappear? Uh, like, man, if just that one wasn't there, God, I could do this. I could live up to this if we could just ignore this section of Scripture. But <laughs> accountability in the house of God, praise Jesus. Uh, do not repay anyone evil for evil. The bad customer service rep. The rude customer, the awful family member, the fellow church member, right? Your spouse, your parent, yourself. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now, it says the, the eyes of everyone. What the, the biblical concept here, I believe, is is that when there are cultural expectations that don't step outside of Scripture, that we should live up to the expectations of the culture. That, that if the culture has a, a right and a wrong way to do things, a protocol, and it may not be a biblical thing. Like, this is just the way that we treat people. This is the way that we talk to people. This is the way that we handle things. As believers, we should be living up to those expectations. Uh, we, we can't say, well, the Bible doesn't tell me to do that, so I can fall below that standard. We should be living at a higher standard as the culture, but we should at least live to the standard of the culture. Now, if the culture expects us to do something that's ungodly, unbiblical, then obviously we don't live to that. So it's not saying you have to live up to everyone's expectations all the time. But when those, there's a set of expectations that aren't unbiblical, we need to live to those. If it's possible, notice it says if, not that. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The reality is there's some people you just can't live at peace with. There, there, there's some people who have made the decision, you the enemy, uh, and I'm going to make sure you know it. And, and it's impossible to live at peace with those people, but... But as much as it's up to you, as much as you make the determination, God's expectation is that you're going to be an agent of peace. You're going to be a representative of peace. In fact, peace is perhaps the characteristic that is most commonly applied to all three aspects of the Godhead. That, that God is the king of peace, that Jesus is the prince of peace, that the Holy Spirit produces in us the fruit of peace in our lives. And so we see peace, characteristic of the God we're called to serve, we're called to be imitators of him. We're called to reflect him, to reflect his image, to be like him. So we should be people of peace. Now, does that mean that you have to be a doormat? I don't think so. Does that mean you can never complain, that you can never stand up for yourself, stand up for your family, your situation, say, hey, I paid for this, but I got this. I don't believe that's the case. We'll dig in a little more. Verse 19 tells us, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. So in other words, when we're people of revenge, we steal God's opportunity to get vengeance for us. When we go out looking to hurt the person who hurt us, to twist the knife, to even the score, now we have taken away God's opportunity to step in and defend us on our behalf. So don't do that. Don't steal God's opportunity. God says it's mine to avenge. I will repay. He's got your back. What an amazing 
truth. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now there's a verse we can stand on, right? We don't need to write that one out of the scripture. We, we, we like that. 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What do we do with rude people? What do we do with just people who aren't living at a godly level or a courteous level? How do we handle that? Well, I do believe that you can complain. I have complained about bad customer service. Um, I do believe that you can go above somebody's head and ask to speak to the manager or do the Karen thing. Uh, like, I don't think that that's always wrong in every situation. I think sometimes there needs to be accountability. Uh, I know having been in management, if the people under you are mistreating your customers, you want to know about it. Uh, if, if you've got your heart in the right place anyway, you want to be aware of what is going on. Um, and so I believe you can do those things, but I believe we need to make sure that we're doing them with the right heart. Uh, so the heart is not vengeance. The heart is not punishing the person for disrespecting us. The, the heart is not, man, I am worthy of more respect than this, and I'm going to demand respect. Uh, the heart is my family it made an investment in this thing, and, man, we, we deserve to see a little bit more out of this investment, this money that we spent. Uh, the heart is I want this company to succeed and to do well, and so I'm going to let them know what's going on. Now, I'll be honest. I have had to overcome some feelings that were different than that, specifically when dealing with Comcast. Uh, Comcast uh, is not my favorite company, uh, and by not my favorite, I mean they could leave Earth and I'd be okay with it. Um, like, I've had horrible experiences with Comcast. Um, and yet, God says, don't repay evil with evil. He says, overcome evil by doing good. Now, I don't know that Comcast is actually actively evil. I just think they're not good at what they do. But, but you see where I'm going here. I don't get to take off my Christianity because somebody didn't treat me well. I don't get to step outside of being a representative of Jesus just because somebody didn't come through with a commitment or a promise. I don't get to even the score. It says don't repay evil with evil. Just because somebody mistreated me doesn't mean I get to mistreat them back. So it matters what I say. It also matters how I say it, right? I can stand up for myself calmly, collectively. I, I, I can represent Jesus well while still saying, look, you guys didn't follow through on your promise here. I was told this and I got this. I need you to make this right. Uh, and so I, that would be my best answer to this is that, man, still, still speak with dignity, with honor, with respect. But yes, you can make your complaints known. Yes, you can articulate your frustrations, the things that didn't get done in a specific situation you can stand up for. And I think that you should. And, and again, I think that this applies beyond just bad customer service. Uh, I think this uh, applies to a lot of situations. What I don't think God has called us to is Christ-like passivity. Like, I don't think that, that Jesus was passive. Jesus was very intentional and very loving in every situation. So I'm not calling us to, God isn't calling us to just, oh, I'm just going to sigh and grin and bear it and suck it up. Uh, I'm just going to rub some dirt on it and move on. Uh, I, I don't think that's what God's asking of us. I think he's saying in the midst of conflict, love people well. In the midst of frustration, in the midst of being let down by people, represent Jesus as you handle it. By the way, you're going to be let down. I, I think, and I hate to say this, but I think the reality is some of us maybe need to lower our bar of expectations of customer service because this is just the generation we live in. Uh, and you're just going to, if you have the standard like I do, I'm working on this myself, I expect good customer service. And when I don't get it, like, it's easy to get in my flesh. It's easy to get outside of, of my representing Jesus mode. And it happens a lot. <laughs> Right now, 
I have more bad customer service experiences than I have good ones. And so I'm working on recalibrating, okay, what, what is going to get me angry? What am I going to let affect my joy? I need to start lowering that bar. Not that I don't stand up for my family or for myself or for our finances, but I'm not going to let every time that I interact with customer service representatives ruin my day or I'm going to not be very happy because uh, that's not the generation we live in. That's not the culture that, that we're in right now. We can still fight for it to be better, uh, but really this comes down to, I mean, like marital situations, right? Like parental uh, situations, all of these. Like, it's not that you can't fight, it's how do you fight. Jesus hasn't said that you need to never stand up for yourself or never fight, but I do believe that he has expectations for how do we do it uh, and that we need to continue to honor him, continue to represent him, in the midst of whatever that is. So that's my best answer to that question. Question number two, uh, I understand you aren't supposed to gossip. Let me start right there. Stop right there real quick. Um, this is, I think, one of the most important issues in churches. I've seen more churches destroyed by gossip than by sexual immorality than by bad teaching, than by taking money, right? Like all these big things that we think of, yes, they, they need to be, we need to be aware of those and we need to stay away from those big things. But there's more people who are walking around with church hurt because of gossip than any of those other things. Because it's just church people who just like to talk. Uh, and they may even talk in, in Christianese, right? Well, we just need to really be praying for so-and-so because so-and-so is doing blah, 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 blah. Or I saw them wearing this or they did that. And, and, and that stuff is just so destructive. Uh, I, I want to empower you. Many of you have heard this before. But, man, if somebody comes to you talking about somebody else in the church, just be like, we don't do that here. We, we don't gossip here. Send them back to the person that they're talking about. Uh, b- because that is, that's how it works is everybody, well, I want to be nice. You know, I, I want to listen to them. I want to honor the person who's talking. And now you've given them an ear. And you've, by giving them an ear, you've approved of what they're saying. So, so we've got to send them back to the source. So yes, you aren't supposed to gossip. But also can't think, keep things bottled up. How would you know the difference between gossiping and venting to someone? Excellent question. Is it ever okay to just truly vent? And if so, who is the best person to vent to? We got any venters in the house? Uh, like, I don't know if I want to raise my hand on this question. I'm going to be in trouble. You're okay. It's okay to vent. Um, I I absolutely think that it is okay to vent. How do I know who to vent to? Uh, let me give you a couple of principles. Number one, the best thing you can do is vent to God. If you ever read the book of Psalms, 75% of the book of Psalms is just venting. Uh, it's just frustration. Uh, God, you said this, but this is happening. God, you said this, but he did this. Uh, God, you said this, but these people are treating me this way. I, I think your best place to vent is to just go to God. Uh, man, that, that he will hear that, he will comfort that, he will move in that situation. And so, yes, vent, but vent to the one who can actually do something about it. Um, secondly, I would say it is almost always safe to vent to your spouse if you're married. Uh, I, I think that that is, a, that is a safe place that the... the the two have become one, uh, and so if you've got some frustrations, now I'd, I'd be careful even in this if that spouse interacts a lot with the person you're vent, venting about, um, that, that you're not affle- affecting their relationship with that person. Uh, one thing we've got to be really careful about is not taking other people's offenses. The enemy wants to, to hurt one person and then multiply that offense into multiple people. Uh, and so we got to be really cautious, even as a spouse, about not taking on our spouse's offense. Uh, so, so be cautious of that. Be aware of that. But I think if you're married, now I know if you're not married, it's like, that's not fair. Uh, and like, as, as Alexa told Noah the other day, uh, life's just not fair. Uh, my, my seven-year-old has figured it out. Uh, so I'm sorry. Uh, if, if you're not married, I, I understand that it's not fair. Uh, that's just the reality of it. Um, but, I, but I do think generally speaking, a spouse is, is a safe place. Now, if you are the spouse on the venting relationship, a couple things you need to know. Uh, Number one, don't just fan anger. Uh, don't just, oh, man, yeah, they, how do they do that to you? Who do they think they are, right? Like, like your job is to defuse the situation. Um, I had a pastor who used to say that we're always carrying around a, a, a can of gasoline and a gallon of water, and you get to choose which one you apply to a situation. You can make that thing blow up, 
or you can put that fire out. And so when somebody's venting to you, man, you better be grabbing that water, right? You, you better be applying that and diffusing the situation and speaking unity, speaking life, and sometimes, yes, sending them back to that person. Sometimes, hey, if you've got a real offense here, you need to go to them. Matthew 18 makes it very, very clear. If you're upset with somebody, they're the person to talk to. If somebody's hurt you, somebody's harmed you, they're the one to talk to. Now, sometimes we need to process and figure out, hey, am, am, I, am I the problem here? Do I even need to go to this person? And, and that's where I think it is, okay, it's safe to vent to God. It's safe to vent to a spouse. I would say a third safe place is somebody who does not know that individual uh, and is not likely to know that individual. In fact, so, so my best advice a lot of times is like somebody that's out of state, uh, like somebody who's very far removed from the situation, and they don't even need to know the specifics of the person's name, or you know, like you can just tell them the situation. What do you think I should do? How should I handle this? Or if you just need to vent, you're not looking for advice, like just tell them that on the front end, especially if you're talking to a guy, because you're going to get advice if you talk to a guy. Uh, they're going to tell you how to fix it. So if you don't want the answer on how to fix it, just say it. I just need to tell you something, because uh, otherwise they're going to, it's just who we are. It's in our DNA. We're going to tell you what to do. Uh, so if, if you're not looking for that, I just need to vent on this, make that clear and make it known. Uh, but talk to somebody who's very far outside the situation. Um, don't, a lot of times we, we want to talk to somebody close, because uh, we want to hear, oh yeah, they did that to me too. We want them to validate our feelings. We, we want them to, oh, yeah, let me, let me tell you what else she did. Like she's, that's not even the worst thing she's done, right? And, and, and so we, we want somebody to speak into it, so we want to get somebody who's close to them, and that's the unbiblical way to do it. That is absolutely gossip. I don't care what your heart is in it. The reality is a lot of times we don't even know where our heart's at. The heart's deceitful above all things. So we may think, hey, my heart's pure in this situation. I'm going to go talk to somebody about this person. But the reality is there's some mixture in our heart. There's some vengeance in our heart. There, there's some, some deception in our heart. Uh, and so we got to be really careful about who we have those conversations with. I would say if you find yourself having more than one conversation about a situation, that's a pretty good sign that there's a real hurt there and you need to go to that person. Um, you, you need to bring it to that person's attention. Uh, now, occasionally, you're venting about something about a parent or, or somebody else from your past who's not even around. Um, I get that there are those kind of situations. Um, sometimes there are situations where you're venting about, we'll use a parent again, and you've already tried to confront this in the parent multiple times, and there's no responsiveness to the confrontation. That's why Matthew 18 doesn't stop with going to talk to them. It says, hey, next time, bring a couple witnesses with you. Bring some other people to have the conversation. So there's a process here. If you're not familiar, read through Matthew 18 to see that process. Because um, there is a process of confrontation. Again, God's not calling you to just passivity. He's not calling you to just turn the other way and, and, and be trampled on. He's just saying there's a right way and a wrong way to handle things. And here are my expectations. If you're going to wear my name, if you're going to represent me in your family, in your workplace, in your school, here's what I'm asking of you as you represent me. Here's the way that we do things. Other people may do things differently. You may have been raised differently. Your human nature may draw you to something different. In fact, not just may, it will. But my expectations on my people are different. And here's the beautiful thing. God never asks us to do something he doesn't equip us for. You are, as a believer, as someone who has the Holy Spirit living in you, you are capable of godly confrontation. You are capable of humbly going to someone who hurts you and saying, look, this is what happened, and maybe I misunderstood something here, but I need you to know this, this has been weighing on me. And, and giving that person an opportunity to learn, to grow, to change, now, the reality is they may not. And that's the fear, right? Well, I know if I talk to them, it ain't going to do anything but make anything worse. And it may make it worse in the natural, but if you've done it God's way, this is where faith comes in, God, I'm trusting you that some good is going to come out of this. Either you're going to make me more like Jesus through this, or you're going to give the Holy Spirit some ammunition to work on that person, even though they don't respond great in the moment. And here's what I've often found. When I've handled confrontation, as most of the time people do respond really well in the moment, it's the week later after they went home and talked to somebody else about it. They went home and vented. 
Uh, and now they come back, and they've got a whole different attitude or response to the confrontation, right? Um, I've seen this time after time after time. Uh, and, and so I get the apprehension and the fear. I get saying, man, I just don't want to make things worse. But ultimately, we got to make a decision. Do we trust God's word or do we not? Do we trust God's way or do we not? And even if I don't always see improvement by doing it God's way, I trust that God's way is the best. And I trust that over time, doing it his way is going to have the greatest impact in my life rather than doing it my way or the culture's way or insert person that I vented to their way here. That's my best advice when it comes to venting. Excellent, excellent question. Question three, how do you love the unlovable? We do a whole message, whole series on this one, right? And it gets deeper. Watch. This person gives some examples. There's two different examples I have for this question. First of all, we hired someone about a year ago, uh, and he has a tendency to really get on not only my nerves, but almost everyone in the company's nerves. You guys ever worked with this guy? Uh, it's almost like he enjoys annoying everyone. You hired a troll, okay? Uh, you hired an internet troll, uh, it's very unfortunate it happens. I'm really not one to lose my cool on others, but there's been several times he has driven me to the point that I'm yelling at him. I've prayed about it, talked to others about it, even talked to him about it, but the situation hasn't really improved. I definitely have hard feelings towards this guy, and that conflicts with my beliefs as a Christian. Um, great example. Appreciate your transparency. Doesn't stop there. It gives a second example. Check this one out. The much more serious example is child molesters. Just the very mention of one makes me angry, so angry and sick, but I believe that this happens to a lot of people. It's such an evil act. I just don't understand how to love those people the way that Jesus does. So how do we love the unlovable? Um, it's heavy. That's tough. I want to speak to both of the specific examples because I think the answer is very different in the two examples. Um, let me give you a principle that, that starts it. The first one is this, Galatians 5.29, very, very famously says that the fruit of the Spirit is love. So the first thing I would encourage you to do is not start looking for more ways to act in love, although I'm going to try to give you some. Um, the first thing I would encourage you to do is lean into your relationship with Jesus. Fruit is something that a tree produces when it's healthy, when it's connected, when it's plugged in. A tree doesn't decide, I need more apples. A tree just makes apples because it's growing, because it's connected, because it's rooted. And so the illustration God is giving here is the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit are not a checklist. You need to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and you need to go out and start working on all nine of these things. That's exhausting. What the, God, the scripture is saying is that the closer you get into relationship with the Holy Spirit, he's going to bear these fruits in your life. These things are going to be evident in your life. And so the first thing when you're in a situation where it's really hard to love somebody is where am I at in my walk with Jesus? Because the more that you're disconnected from him, the harder this is going to be. Um, that doesn't mean that the fact that you're having a challenge means that you're disconnected from Jesus. I'm not saying that, man. You can be very close to Jesus and still have some very unlovable people in your life. So please, this is not a judgment. This is not a criticism. This is just, this is the first thing you need to do is take a step back. Where am I at right now in my walk with God? Am I spending time in the word? Am I praying? Am I worshiping? Am, am, I, am I at a place where the Holy Spirit has room to grow things in my life? If you are, secondly, I would say, Start praying over those specific situations. I think this person said in, in this one situation, they did. I mean, I've been praying about it. I've been giving it to God. Keep praying. Don't stop praying. But don't just pray about the situation. Pray about your reaction. God, give me a heart for so-and-so. God, help me to love this coworker who nobody can stand. The reality is most people who are actively antagonistic just don't like themselves. Like, they just, they don't have anything in their own life to be proud of, to hold on to. And so the only attention, probably as a kid, like, everything goes back to childhood. Like, it's cliche, but it's true. Probably as a kid, the only time they got attention from their parents is when they acted out. More than likely. And so they've just carried that in to the rest of their life. 
And so when somebody actually cares about them, so I, I would encourage you, man, just actively pursue this person. And I know this is the complete opposite of the answer you wanted. Uh, but actively pursue this person. Ask them to go to lunch with you. Like, hey, dude, can I take you out to lunch? Can we just get to know each other? Can we start over? Like, I know that we've kind of got off on the wrong foot. And, man, we, you know, give them a, some options. Like, hey, pick, pick a place out of these three places. I'll take you to lunch. Um, and, and just start to pursue relationship with them. Uh, and, and obviously be careful about that if you're a guy and they're a girl. Or, you know, do what's appropriate. Don't, don't put yourself in, in a bad situation where you step into something that's going to harm your marriage. Use wisdom. But pursue a, a better relationship with that person. Start to show them love. I believe 100% this is what Jesus would do. This is what Jesus did with Zacchaeus, right? Like Zacchaeus is, is far from God, and Jesus said, I'm coming over to your house. Don't invite yourself over to their house. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but get into their world. Um, and, and I think a lot of times that's going to start to diffuse things. It's not going to be a magic solution. Uh, if they've got unhealthy stuff that goes back decades, that stuff doesn't get fixed overnight. Um, but, but pursue them. Love them. Be Jesus to them. And you might have to be prayed up for that. You, you might have to spend a couple, three weeks in prayer covering that before you have the courage to, to take that step. But I would encourage you, man, to pursue them as long as you can. Now, if it gets to a point where, the man, this is just, the Bible told me to be, do my best to live at peace with everyone. And it's just impossible to live at peace with this person. Like, I invited him to lunch, and they made fun of me for it. You know, like, I, I took this step. And no matter what I do, it just gets worse. That's when maybe you got to look for another job, right? That's when maybe you've got to find, hey, this person is not someone who I can live at peace with, and I'm worse to my family because i got to spend time with this dude all day, every day, and I come home, and I'm just not me. Um, then you might have to remove yourself from the situation. But I'd lean in before I leaned out. Um, I, I would pursue before I said, you know what, I've got to get away from this. But there may be a point where you flat out need to get away from it. Um, but, but, but cover them in prayer. We, we become intimate with who we pray with, who we pray to, and who we pray for. Uh, so if you need a heart for somebody, if you're finding it's hard for me to love this person, the more that you pray for them, the easier it's going to get. doesn't mean it's going to happen the first time. But, but as you pray for them, as you honestly pray for them, not just that they would treat you better, not that, just that they'd stop being a jerk, uh, but, but God, that whatever hurt is in them that causes them to be this way, God, I believe that you can heal it. God, I believe that you, you can change their heart. Um, I, that, that's what I would do in that situation. Now let's go to the other situation. How do I love a child molester? Um, that's a great question. I don't really know the answer to that. Here's what I would say. I, I would say, number one, the Bible says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And so somebody who's actively hurting people not just the jerk at the office on the job, but, but someone who's actively, like, destroying lives, they need to be brought to a place of repentance. Um, that's kindness to them. So how do I love them? I, I pray that conviction. I'm talking about a recognition of what they've done, of who they've hurt, that they would come to a place where God breaks their heart for the destruction that they're causing. Um, secondly, if you know, like, this person is active. Like, you know, there's child molesters who are in prison. There's child molesters who are registered sex offenders for stuff that happened in their past. But there's people who are actively hurting kids right now is pursue justice. Because um, the, the most loving thing for them is to get their behavior to stop. And child molesters just don't stop on their own. Um, yes, I believe God can change hearts. Yes, I believe God can, can do things. But, but churches have been very guilty of extending grace and not pursuing justice. And, and God is a God of both. And so we treat people with grace. We love them in the midst of their brokenness, in the midst of their sin, but we don't look the other way and ignore their sin and allow them to keep destroying other people. So whatever needs to be done to bring that person to not just conviction of the Holy Spirit, but conviction of the community, um, where they pay for their crimes, where, where the truth comes out about what they've been doing, um, that's loving to that person. They may not feel loving, but it's what they need. They need to stop. They need to be broken of this, and they're going to need help. And so the one thing they need to do is you can't stop something you have a steady supply, right? Like, like if, if there's an alcoholic who decides I'm going to quit drinking, but they still go hang out at the bar every other night, they're not going to quit drinking. 
Like they're just, they're just not. You're going to give in to that temptation you're, when, you, when there's something that you already have a weakness towards. And so we've got to cut off their supply to kids. And the best way to do that is for them to spend time in prison where there are no kids. And that might not sound really loving, but I promise you it truly is. It's God's kindness that leads to repentance. The only way that that person's life will ever change is if we get them out of that situation. Um, and so uh, I would say again to check your heart. Um, how do you love the unlovable? Man, be praying for the unlovable. Man, be praying for their soul. Be praying for their family. Like the, the people that are closest to these people are often the most scarred, the most harmed. Maybe, maybe you are that person that's closest to them. Um, it's somebody in your family. Maybe it goes back 20 years. And it's like, we're past the statute of limitations and we can't even do anything about it. Um, I'd pray about possibly confronting them if it's something that happened to you or happened to somebody close to you. Um, if, if that opportunity were there. I, I've shared with you guys this before. My, my mom was molested from the time she was four to the time she was six. And it broke her. Like her whole life until she went to be with Jesus in January, was scarred by what that monster did when she was a kid. And by the time I was old enough to know and comprehend and, and be aware of what had happened to my mom, he was dead. I couldn't go confront him, which is probably a good thing because I may not have acted like Jesus if I had. Um, but um, I think we can still pray for them. But the biggest focus with somebody like that isn't them, it's the victims. Um, is what do we have to do to protect people? What do we have to do to, to love the ones who are being harmed, to love the ones who are in danger and in jeopardy? So that would be my answer to that incredibly good and incredibly hard question. Question four. Definitely not going to make it to question five. Uh, there are a lot of different parenting styles these days. My husband and I have found ourselves struggling to get on the same page with some parenting. Which parenting style is most biblical? Um, I know that this is the only couple in the church that ever has trouble getting on the same page with parenting their kids. So uh, the rest of you guys can just breathe for a minute because you've got it under control. But we'll talk to this one couple real quick. Um, the reality is every couple has different background. You were raised differently. Uh, you, you've... We go one of two ways. We either gravitate towards the way that our parents did things or we run 180 degrees the other direction, right? We swing the pendulum all the way. Like, you grew up in a disciplinarian home that was borderline abusive. I'm not, I'm not ever touching my kids. I'm not ever raising my voice at them. Like, they can do whatever they want. I just want to make sure that they know that they're loved. Uh, and, and so, so much of, again, the stuff that we bring into adulthood comes from our childhood, uh, and, and I think we need to just be aware of that, have those conversations, like dig into why am I the way that I am? Why, why do I want it this way? And why am I so frustrated that he wants it that way? Um, and, and that doesn't mean that you're wrong for your frustration. You just need to understand what are your motivations here? What, what, what is the cause? What are you pursuing? What is the target? I, I don't think there is a most biblical parenting style. Let me just say that. I, I think that there's room for different parenting styles, there's room for different couples to operate in their personalities, in, in their goals, in their vision for their family. There, there are some, obviously, some biblical principles that we should all seek to apply as parents. Um, so, so let me give you some scripture. Proverbs 13, 24 famously says this, says, whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. I do believe that there should be discipline. Uh, now, there's, say what? Before you send them to school, the teacher said, let, yes, let there, let there be rules at home before they got to go to somebody else to watch out for them. Thank you for that, Brenda. Um, I, I think discipline is biblical. It's not just biblical because it's instruction for parents. It's biblical because who's our model? God's our father. How does the father operate? Hebrews 12, 5 says this, you, have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one that he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. We put verse six up there for us so they can see it, yeah. The Lord disciplines the ones that he loves. So if we're gonna be loving parents, discipline's gonna be part of the house. Um, 
I do believe in spanking. I know that's not a popular thing to say, say right now. I, I know there's a, a lot of psychological studies that say that spanking is abuse and, and a lot of things in the culture that, that run counter to this. Here's my response to that. When those studies look at, hey, people who spanked and here's the damage that's come into their home, there's a phrase which, which I believe in very strong is that correlation is not causation. Um, and the, that a lot of people who have spanked have done it badly has spanked out of anger, has spanked out of place, out of order. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of correlation in there with people who have just stepped out of line and they just, they take out their frustration on their kids and that is not Jesus. And that is not biblical. I don't think that we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, the challenge to us is to not walk in anger towards our kids. The challenge in us is, is to not take out our emotions on their backside. Uh, that our motivation for spanking has to be appropriate, has to be right, and that we better check our heart uh, before we ever take that step. So you, you might disagree. This might be one where somebody's like, I can't go to a church where a pastor believes in spanking. Well, I, I believe in the word of God, and that's what I believe the word of God teaches, is that discipline is, is appropriate. That doesn't mean we spank in every situation. doesn't mean it's the only thing. you got to learn your kid. Some kids are going to respond to different punishments better than other punishments. Um, and so your, your kid is unique. Your, your, your kid is different than every other kid. It means you might have to spank one more than others. There, there, there might be one that responds to the spanking and one that doesn't. Um, you got to find out what they respond to. So I'm not saying... Just go home and spank in every situation. Don't, don't hear that. That ain't what I said. Um, <laughs> Teresa being Oprah over here with some spankings. <laughs> everybody get a whooping. Uh, everybody get a switch. Uh, so it's not what I said. Uh, please. <laughs> Definitely not what I said. Um, so how do we temper the scripture on discipline? If all we do is focus on those, we're going to go home and be very strict and very disciplinarian. It's not all the Bible has to say. Ephesians 6, 4, speaking specifically to fathers, says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Don't frustrate them. Don't stay constantly on them. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So there's... A call on fathers specifically, I think it applies to parents. If you're a single mom, then instructions to fathers apply to you. you the dad in this situation, in their life. You've got to fill that role. It's not the way God designed it. It's not the way that God wanted it. But the brokenness in your situation means you're going to have to step into that role and live that out. And, and so uh, you're going to have to do that. Let me give you a few tips that I believe will help. Um, let me say this. When I was a youth pastor, I could have answered this question so much better. Because I knew how to raise everybody's kids. <laughs> I knew every mistake parents were making, and I could have told you, and then I had kids. Uh, and, and so uh, I'm learning. Uh, I have been humbled. I do not have it figured out as much as I did 10 years ago. Uh, so I wish we could go back in time, and I'd give you a much better answer. But uh, the reality is children are tough to raise. There are some challenges, uh, and we don't always have it figured out. Here, here's some things that I would say I think all parents should shoot for as biblical parenting. Number one, walk in unity. Kids are masters at discovering disunity. Uh, they, they will look, they, they, they can smell it a mile away. Mommy said this, but daddy doesn't agree. Let me go talk to daddy. Or vice versa. Uh, but they, they, will, they will capitalize on that. They will exploit that for every ounce that they can. Uh, and so you got to get on the same page. Before we can talk about style, man, pick one. But just get, the one, get one where you guys can be together because if you're not unified, this will not work. Now, obviously, again, that looks different if you're a single parent, if you're in this co-parenting situation where your kid's with you half the time and other parent half the time, I mean, you better cover that thing in prayer. Uh, because I see it all the time where there's somebody trying to raise their kids up to follow Jesus and then there's this other parent that's just going to give them whatever they want. Um, don't settle for less just because somebody else has influence on your kid. Keep shooting for God's best for them. Keep fighting for it. It might be an 18-year fight. 
God forbid it might be a 35-year fight with the way that kids stay at home these days, right? The goal is to get them out of the house. Uh, it might be a fight for a long time. Don't let it be a 35-year fight. Uh, but walk in, get on the same page. Uh, now, does that mean you're going to agree about everything? No, it means you're publicly going to agree about everything. I, I, I think it's healthy for your kids to see you walk through disagreements, to learn how mom and dad fight and deal with things, but it can't be the fights about them. It can't be the fights about how you're, you're raising them. You, you're going to have plenty of other conflict in your marriage that you can model biblical, godly, Christ-like response to. When it comes to your, your challenges and your frustrations about what rules we're doing or how we're going to respond to this or can they go to this or can we buy this or whatever other thing it is, that's got to be behind closed doors. And you can have it out and you can discuss it, but you you got to be in unity together as much as possible. Again, the kids are going to find any, any crack in that unity. They're going to find it. They're going to expand it. They're going to camp out in it. Uh, they're going to live in it as long as you let them. So you got you to deal with that. Um, secondly, I would encourage you to walk in love. Again, love is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not just an action. It is a verb. But, it, but it's something, man, love your kids. In other words, you want what's best for them. So when you do discipline, it's not because you're mad or because you're angry. It's because I love you enough that I need you to learn that this thing isn't okay. It's because I love you enough and that that's got to be where your heart's at. And sometimes it's not where your heart's at. Sometimes you're like, oh, why are you doing this? And it's okay to feel that way. It's not okay to discipline when you feel that way. My mom was great at disciplining when she was upset, and my mom wasn't much of a spanker. We got spanked when we were young, but most of the time, dad was the spanker because mom was gentle and dad was not. Uh, like, dad's spankings hurt. Mom's spankings were like, all right, whatever. Uh, they figured that out pretty quick, so mom didn't do a lot of spanking. But mom was quick to punish, and like, you're grounded for three months. And we would go back to our bedroom and laugh and take bets on how long that grounding was going to last. We'll be off in five days. Why? Because she disciplined in her emotion, not out of a standard. And so we figured that out very, very quickly, and that discipline didn't have the effect that it should have had. Um, so you've got to walk in love. You've got to respond in love. And when you're angry and emotional, just say, you know what? We're going to make a decision about how to handle this, and, and that will really stress them out. Because uh, now they got to wait on the response. Uh, when, when dad gets home, right, like there's a tension now on the kid. I think that's a healthy tension. Uh, while they're waiting, it's like when you're sitting outside the principal's office. It's like when you're sitting in the car with the blue lights behind you. Oh, my God. Right? Uh, it's that anticipation of the discipline of the accountability. I think there's some health in there. And so don't punish in emotion. Just don't. Get to where you can honestly, lovingly give the correction, whatever the correction needs to be. Walk in love. Thirdly, I would say walk in consistency. Because the reality is kids will figure out real quick that sometimes I can get away with this, but sometimes I can't. So I'm just going to take the shot that maybe this will be the day I can get away with it. Uh, and this is the hardest one because we're all inconsistent. Because we all have days when we're up and days when we're down, days when we're over it, days when we just don't have enough energy to deal with it, and we just want to look the other way. But as much as you possibly can, be consistent. Consistent in what you address, consistent in what you don't, consistent in how you address it. Walk in and pursue consistency. And fourthly, I'd say speak life over your kids. Speak life. Speak life, speak life, speak life. James 3 says this. It says, take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. What's James saying is that the tongue steers the ship. The things that you say and the way that you say them are going to determine the environment in your home. Speak life. Doesn't mean you never correct. Doesn't mean you never discipline. I think that would be wrong application of this. Sometimes life is I love you enough to make sure you know you can't run out into the road, kid. Like you violated the boundaries. We told you to stay here. You ran out in the road. I'm, my job is to keep you alive. And you're three years old, and my goal is for you to make it a lot more than that. Not that I'm talking about a specific child here, no, at all. Right? <laughs> Totally hypothetical, totally theoretical. Thank you, Jesus. Speak life over that 
that kid. Speak life over their future. Speak life over their personality. Speak life over, over their situation. Even speak life into their discipline. Every time that I spank that kid, and he's already had more spankings than the other two combined, um, <laughs> tell him, Daddy doesn't like to spank you. Because he goes, me, hate spankings. <laughs> no, I hate spankings too, buddy. I don't get any pleasure out of this. But I love you. And I hug him. And I pray with him. And I pray that we don't have to do this again 20 minutes later. In Jesus' name. <laughs> but you got to speak life. Got to just keep on speaking life. Proverbs 8.21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, your tongue is producing fruit in your relationships. You're going to eat of it. It's going to be great or it's going to be awful. What you say to your kids, what you say about your kids. There may be a time to vent. There may be a time to, to air frustration where you go to another parent. You go to a, a, a trusted mentor. You talk to somebody who's in leadership in your life. What do, you, what do I do with this? Or here's what I'm going through. Like, yes, there, there are times for that. But generally speaking, keep speaking life. Keep speaking life before the throne of God. God, thank you for the blessing that this child is. Psalm 127 says clearly that children are a heritage. They're a blessing from the Lord. We'll read those verses in a couple weeks when we do child dedications. It's not just some fun, encouraging thing to stand over when we got this cute little adorable baby who's done nothing wrong yet. Man, that's the truth. At any stage, they're a blessing. And sometimes they don't feel like a blessing. Sometimes they don't look like a blessing. Sometimes they don't talk like a blessing. Sometimes they don't act like a blessing. But you got to keep confessing they're a blessing. God, thank you for this kid. In the midst of their rebellion, in the midst of their disrespect, in the midst of them seemingly running as far as they can get from your best for their life, God, I know they're a blessing, and I believe you got a plan for them. Speak life over your kids. Because the tongue has the power of life and death. It's the rudder that steers the ship. Lastly, I'd say a couple, couple other really, really quick things that won't be on the screen, but just to throw these out there. Number one, more is always going to be caught than taught. So who you raise them up to be is going to be who you are. They're going to see the way that you interact as parents. They're going to see the way you interact with Jesus. They're, they're, they're going to see the way that you treat other people, the way you talk about other people behind closed doors. Uh, and so, yes, you can teach them well, and you should. But point them not just through the things you tell them to do, but through the way that you live, and that's a lot harder. Lastly, I'd say walk in grace. We, we, we have a God of grace and model grace for them. Teach them grace. That doesn't mean that, hey, I'm never going to have punishment or discipline. God's a God of grace, but he still disciplines the ones he loves. But, but it means when there's an attitude of grace. In other words, their failure doesn't define them. We're, we're not going to start speaking things over them that this is who you are. You're just a rebellious child. That was a rebellious action. That was a dishonoring thing that you just did, but you're not a disrespectful child. You're not a bad kid. You're not a problem child. That's not who you are. You're not a failure. You have a God who loves you. We're going to walk in grace, okay? And so I know that's a lot, and I, and I know that I didn't even answer the specific question about a parenting style. I don't know the best parenting style. I'm working on that. Um, but, but I know that these are biblical truths and principles that we can seek to apply as we walk through it. Would you guys pray with me?